passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. It is John Pollock, and welcome, everybody, to our UFC 221 post show. I'm here alongside the Mike Bond of MMAJunkie.com. We have just watched hours and hours and hours of fights, Mike, and now we're going to talk about the hours of fights that we have just consumed. Yes, we are in the Mike Bond. Uh, I'm glad I'm not one of those people that has the Twitter handle, you know, it's where it's like the name name. I never got into that. Did you ever consider that when you made the pun? I mean, I I am John Pollock, but it's not the John Pollock. No, because at John Pollock is actually some, like, well-known professor, author, so I had to get clever, and and thus, I am John Pollock was what I had to go with. And that was 2009. John Pollock was already taken. Never turned back, yeah. Well, I'm sad, because the at Mike Bond Twitter handle is inactive, never been used, but it has one follower, one following and i can't get them to give it to me and you're kind of zero tweets and you're kind of tied to mma now yeah well i mean i do other sports too right like i do uh yeah i mean my mma is in my handle but i cover nba nhl and stuff so i wish i could just have it blank but i don't want to make it like mike bond sports or whatever but anyways getting off topic with the twitter handles oh you never um, know who's out there listening that may want to uh help you out yeah give you a helping hand we'll see well be great you and i were joking uh on friday actually you had messaged me stating, it's so weird that here it is, it's Friday evening and the weigh-ins haven't taken place yet. And my response was, man, imagine if Yoel Romero's body shut down. Could you imagine? Yeah. And then later that night, Yoel Romero fails to make weight for this interim championship fight. The fight does stay together and what an outcome that they ended up with here. So we had half of an interim championship fight to headline this pay-per-view. Yeah, it was just, I mean, if there wasn't enough things that could have gone wrong with this card just not being great altogether, all these, you know, all the criticism, blah, 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 and then the actual already controversial interim title gets stripped half-word, and yeah, we have this weird situation, like 206 uh, here in Toronto with Max Holloway and Anthony Pettis, and it's just, it's crazy whenever this happens, and it was disappointing, but yeah, I mean... I just had a feeling it was going to be one of those times where something weird was going to happen, and it most certainly did. Well, the fight did stay together. Romero came in at 187.7 pounds, so it was only a title fight for Luke Rockhold. Yoel Romero was simply fighting to get a W on his record. So we can go uh, and start off from the top here with Yoel Romero and Luke Rockhold, and uh, coming into this fight, Luke Rockhold, I think in the opening round, he certainly looked to be, uh, to me, landing the cleaner strikes, controlled the center, and then it was Romero in the second round, just kind of swarming him with strikes, and I thought we had an even fight going into the third, and it finished with Yoel Romero blasting him with this left hand. Rockhold goes down against the cage, kind of similar to the loss to Michael Bisping, and then took this follow-up left hand from Yoel Romero, and 
I thought Luke Rockhold's head was about to come off of its shoulders. It was a devastating finish to this fight. And Yoel Romero wins. No championship, but does get the victory. Yeah, just a classic Yoel Romero performance, I kind of feel like. You know, we wondered what, how the weight cut and everything was going to affect him uh, in the cage. But he seemed like his normal self. I mean, he picked his shots, waited for his moments to kind of have his bursts of offense. And when he did, they were extremely effective. Every time he really went on... Luke Rockhold and attacked him, he had him on the ropes and he had him in trouble. And then ultimately gets that knockout in the third round. And this guy, you know, king of the third round finish. I mean, he has six third round finishes tied with Randy Couture and Max Holloway for the most in UFC history. So this guy, uh, I don't know. I guess there's just something about that third round where he's really able to find a spot and maybe he's just felt people out for two rounds and is able to get it done there. And it was, yeah, just a, a very nice knockout. And you got feel for Luke Rockhold too. I mean, he uh, just seems like he's one of the most talented fighters in the sport, but just that chin. How how much does this set Luke Rockhold back in the middleweight division? Because I, I feel at his core, like this guy could be the, the top middleweight in the world. I think the Bisping loss was just, it just was such, I, I think eight times out of 10, he wins that fight. But he lost that night. It really set him back. And here is a fight that Rockhold had no... He did not have to take this after Yoel Romero misses weight, but he took a risk here, and I think it, it sets him back, you know, several steps in this middleweight division, and it's kind of a mess, this division now, and where you go, does Yoel Romero fight for the title next? Yeah, he was in a bad spot. I mean, well, I guess we know that Yo Romero is going to fight for the title. I mean, we just saw uh, Brett Okamoto of ESPN is reporting that he spoke to Dana White. And he said that regardless of the fact that he missed weight, he's going to be fighting next uh, against Robert Whitaker. So I guess that's the situation. But as far as Luke Rockhold, yeah, it's it's a huge setback. I mean, I guess in the middleweight division, like, I, I just don't know about Luke Rockhold at this point. I mean, he clearly has other things going on that like he can do outside of the sport he's mm-hmm. able to like you know he has other interests it seems like he's said multiple times over and over he doesn't need to fight he just does it because he has a really good passion so i don't think he's going to retire or anything but i mean i do wonder if he's committed enough or willing enough to put in the time that it would take to get a run back to the title and i think that's a few more fights but i could easily see him you know if he picks the right fight fights you know chris weidman or something that's like the that. first and fight i thought of you know one, yeah. one of those opponents and he wins big he's right back in the mix and as we know the middleweight division is just an absolute gong show right now and he does have a name so th- there's a lot of things to luke rockhold if he gets back in there and puts a couple solid wins together i think he's back in the mix but yeah unfortunately you know he's not going to get that robert whitaker fight next which he originally had for this event you know he was supposed to be fighting for the title so yeah you've kind of got that mix that Rockhold's in now with your Kelvin Gastelums your Chris Weidmans who are kind of in this secondary role in the division while we go back to a fight that was pretty definitive last July like I don't know how many how many people are clamoring for Whitaker Romero too but that looks to be the fight coming out of this I will say I thought Yoel Romero certainly took lessons from that loss to Robert Whitaker. This was someone that, outside of that big burst at the start of the second round, this was a guy conserving his his energy and was prepared to go 25 minutes if need be. Yeah, he no definitely learned his lesson. I mean, I, they were kind of talking about that a little bit on commentary uh, between Jimmy Smith and John Anik, who, you know, will say did a fantastic job. They I were great tonight, duo, and I think a lot of people uh, on Twitter and social media were giving them a lot of praise. And I, I don't know. I've had mixed feelings since they brought back the three man booth. I think sometimes it's good. The right combination. Sometimes I prefer two, but I really like to, I really like that duo of Anik and Smith, and I hope they keep doing it. And who knows? I mean, I. 
for me, the one team I really want to see is Anik, Smith, and Rogan. I think that'll be interesting whenever they do that. But yeah, the viewers might get confused and think they're seeing double. I just thought the chemistry tonight <laughs> between Anik and Jimmy Smith, having never worked together, it was instant right off the bat between those two. From the first fight we, we watched on Fight Pass. Yep. 18 hours ago, yep. they, they seemed to have it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, second from the top, we had heavyweight action with Mark Hunt taking on Curtis Blades. And the first round was certainly the most entertaining round, where Blades clearly had a, a game plan of just getting Hunt off of his feet. But in trying to do so, he got rocked with a series of strikes that probably would have put to sleep most heavyweights. And Blades absorbed these shots still took Hunt down and then controlled him for the rest of the round. And then in the second, it was Curtis Blades using his takedowns, working on top with elbows and strikes, and then dominating him in the third round. I thought the third was a 10-8 for Curtis Blades, and he won by unanimous decision on scores of 30-26 twice and 29-27. So very big win for Curtis Blades. Yeah, the biggest win of his career by far. And yeah, it was uh, a little shaky there in the first round, but he showed a lot of perseverance and a great chin. I mean, I think we kind of knew that he had a good chin because if you just go back to his fight against Francis Ngannou, I mean, we know what that guy can do when he hits you on the chin. And he hit Blades quite a few times, and he didn't get knocked out. He didn't get TKO'd. It was a result of his eye just completely swelling shut, and the doctor stopped it. So I think we know he can, his chin can hold up to power, and he proved that again tonight. And he was able to get Mark Hunt down and just show incredible feats of strength, just tossing Mark Hunt around like he was absolutely nothing. His strength in was third round. incredible to watch, and just very smart game plan of Curtis Blades, even in the third where he was controlling him by the wrist, just continually dumping him down, and the craziest stat in this fight was the fact that these two are 18 years in difference. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, it's unbelievable. I mean, and I don't have the list. I know I'm the stat guy and the fat guy, but I do not actually know that list of the biggest age disparities in UFC history, but yeah, I think... John Anik mentioned on the broadcast that it's up there among the highest. So, yeah, just uh, crazy. And this is really what the heavyweight division needs at this point. I mean, we need guys like Curtis Blades to break through and beat some guys like Mark Hunt. I mean, we've had uh, some resistance to this kind of changing of the guard when they've tried to make these sort of fights in the light heavyweight division and in the heavyweight division. You know, something that comes to mind is like a uh, you know, Jared Cannon year versus a Glover to share, like some fights like that. Yeah. They've done. And this one went that way uh, where the kind of the prospect, the young younger guy was able to break through and get that signature win so good for curtis blades and it seems like he has a bright future and how how high do you go with an opponent next to him in the heavyweight division are you looking at your your overeem level in, in the heavyweight division i mean how big of a jump do you expect him to take now it just depends on who's available, I guess. I mean, it's so hard to predict with these heavyweight fights. The matchmaking is just kind of all over the place with some of these fights. I mean, we have uh, just out of desperation. We have a Fabricio Verdun versus Alexander Volkov fight, and like some of these matchups. Next week, we have Tybura uh, fighting Derek Lewis. So, I mean, I don't really know where they're going to go, but it seems like we were kind of talking about this during the fights. A lot of those top guys are booked right now. Um, so, I guess it's just really who's available, but. We, we kind of did mention Alistair Overeem was sitting front row for this fight and watching it closely, so that's maybe a fight they could do, but I don't really know if Alistair Overeem's going to be willing to take that kind of opponent at the moment. We'll see. As long as it's not Tim Johnson that somehow <laughs> maneuvers his way into a fight. You, you really, like, you're on the Tim Johnson bandwagon, hey? No, no I'm not. I, 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 yeah, the I, I handed off my ticket. Uh, we had Tai Tuivasa taking on Cyril Asker in another heavyweight bout, and Tied to Ivasa, uh, 
was able to rock this guy with an ungodly amount of damage in this opening round. He just lit up Asker with elbows, with right hands, and it ended with Asker trying to get out of the way and ended up face-planting into the mat, and Steve Percival just stepped in at 218 of the first round to call this off. So Tuivasa improves to 9-0, and and then uh, cut quite the promo afterwards, and then capped it all off by chugging a beer from someone's shoe in the crowd. Yeah, what a what a presentation this was from start to finish. Yeah, this guy's fun. Uh, I really enjoyed him. He seems like he could be a good part of the heavyweight division. Uh, I heard from uh, from some Australians on my timeline yeah. who said that this guy was embarrassing. That they were cringing at what he was doing. So it was polarizing uh, his demeanor to the audience. But I, I thought this guy made the most. Uh, I think as many people that remember his performance in the fight, I think an equal amount, if not more, will remember this This is the guy that chugged the beer from the shoe. Yeah, that was. Yeah, I'm glad they caught that on camera. They, they went back after like, it. Like, Anik called it out, and good on the production staff to actually have caught this and, and shown it. Yeah, it was a great moment. And he's, I mean, he seems like he can fight pretty damn well so far. I mean, obviously, he's not fighting the most credentialed, highly ranked heavyweights, but he shouldn't be at this point. He comes in with six... I think he has seven fights now, seven to zero, and all of them have ended in the first round. So like, we haven't really seen him tested, and he's fighting low level guys. But all the potential seems there again, kind of like a Curtis Blades, a twenty four year old person that we need in the heavyweight division. I mean, Mick Maynard, I think, got to give him shout out since he took over and like has done the matchmaking for heavyweight. He's signed so many new guys. Just like think about all the debuting heavyweights we've had in the past couple uh, year or so. I guess so. It's a uh, it's nice to see a guy like that kind of get a win on a good stage, and he has a fun personality, so hopefully you know, they continue to push him in the right way and give him some more winnable fights, get him some more experience, and who knows, maybe we're talking about this guy as a contender in a few years. One of the most talked about fights because of a specific incident involved Jake Matthews taking on Jingliang Li in welterweight action. Matthews is 23 years old, uh, ran into a pair of losses after a pretty strong start in the UFC and was coming off a win coming into this fight. Whereas uh, Jingliang Li has the most unassuming four-fight win streak as he uh, came into this fight. Jake Matthews won the fight by unanimous decision. Scores were 30-26 twice and a 29-28 card. Uh, I thought Matthews won all three rounds, and I thought the first round was a 10-8. But the incident everyone was focused on was in the second round, where Matthews charged in and ate this uppercut. But in doing so, he was able to take down uh, take down Jing Liang and then go for a guillotine. And Jing Liang gouged his eye to break free of this guillotine. And for the rest of the round, Jimmy Smith is warning us that... I saw the replay. It's pretty brutal. And then at the end of the round, we're all curious to see this replay. And it was as vicious as promised. This was one of the nastiest fouls I can recall in a UFC octagon. And this was just awful to watch. I had to turn away. This was just nasty. Yeah, both of us had kind of the same reaction when they showed that replay. It was just uh, cringe and... Yeah, that was a, a pretty sneaky, dirty move by Xing Yang, no, but I guess maybe it saved him from being submitted. And again, what's the consequence? He didn't get a point taken Do away. Do you feel there should be one? Because if you look at other, you know, Babalu being fired for holding a choke too long, or uh, you look at Paul Daly, I mean, different kinds of fouls, but 
this to me was as egregious as some of these other ones. Um, and, and I think at the very least that they should be looking at this and speaking to this guy and trying to understand what he was thinking here, because this looked pretty blatant. It was to get out of a submission. And I mean, when you're talking about a guy's eyesight here, this is a pretty nasty foul. This is a lot worse than just, you know, simply a, an errant low blow or I would say even holding on a choke for too long. I mean, this to me is kind of a step further. Yeah, it's it's a tough one because it was definitely blatant. And afterwards, Jake Matthews says he doesn't really care. He, he this was the was calmest guy in the world. So. He hugged him afterwards. Exactly. So I guess if he's not mad about it, we're making a big deal of it about it why should we i mean obviously it's kind of our jobs to look into the stuff and talk about it but i mean he didn't really seem like he cared maybe once he's out of the cage and you know things kind of cool down he gets some hindsight perspective he might speak uh more negative was that a play on words there no thankfully his hindsight yeah. can be 2020 his, <laughs> his eye did appear to be fine like it didn't seem that he had any kind of uh, yeah because the finger was right in there. Yeah. This no, was, was really nasty. It was really bad. And we'll see. I mean, I don't think the UFC itself is going to punish him. And who the hell knows with this commission? I mean, I don't know if we'll talk about it at any other point, but they're, they're not telling us anything. I mean, they weren't even giving out the actual scorecards tonight, and they wouldn't name their judges. So who knows if they're going to actually punish someone for doing something like that? Who knows? This was the uh, most we, bizarre. We know nothing about this commission. So this is the most b- bizarre thing that uh, Mark Romandi pointed out online tonight about kind of this secrecy behind like the judges scorecards you didn't get a breakdown of like what the scores were per rounds or uh, attaching the name of a judge to a specific scorecard it was like I've all of this scorecard like this was done like in about. anonymity this was like the secret society of mma judges yeah i've never seen anything like it i mean they it's typical the ufc will send out the scorecards to the media uh, after the fights from the commissions like photocopies of it and the one they sent out looked absolutely nothing like anything i've ever seen no information no round breakdown anything like that and it's just incredibly bizarre and i feel bad for our friends over at mmadecisions.com because this event is pretty much going to have no background info yeah, as far as we're going to have judge you know, a b and the, the c record keeping it makes no sense so yeah uh this commission hopefully we'll see what's to come of it but very strange obviously the it sounds like there's a separate commission for western australia yes. as opposed to what they've been other places in australia melbourne sydney all that kind of stuff so yeah i mean obviously the first major event they've done there so we don't really know much about this commission and not off to a good start i mean some some weird moments and we'll see uh what happens next time they go back there i guess the pay-per-view got off to a good start with Tyson Pedro and Sopper Beg Safarov, who we learned had a new yeah, name. A last-minute name change, just, I don't know. I, I really don't understand. I mean, uh, I didn't have the chance to speak to him about it, obviously, but John Morgan had mentioned something about it to us, saying that we needed to change the name on his database thing, but we were like, oh, no, it's still the old way on ufc.com but then Which on the weighing graphic BEK was the end of his first yes, stop back BEG was on the weighing graphic yesterday and that was kind of the first time we were alerted to it and then throughout the night the graphics for that fight came up and it was spelled you know, BEG just very weird I mean I wonder if he did have a name change or if maybe there was a mistake going into his first fight I, I really don't know I'd like to speak to him at some point and get clarity Yes, this was maybe the only question remaining after this fight. Uh, yeah. It was a very quick fight where 
Safarov went for the slam and then landed the shot to the back of the head and was warned by the official. But then Tyson Pedro swept him with this deep Kimura locked, got the leg over to put all of the pressure using his hips, and Safarov tapped out at 3 minutes and 54 seconds. Super impressive submission here from Tyson Pedro, who I don't know how optimistic you would have been that if he were to stop someone in the opening round, that it would have been via submission. Yeah, uh, definitely. Well, especially in a submission like that. Yeah. I mean, I did not expect him to just... And he said... I mean, I don't think he even expected himself to win like that because he said post-fight that he never uh, drilled or anything, any of those chorus. So. <laughs> you usually get... It's always like the the setup question of, uh, if you've been working on that in the gym... We've been drilling that nonstop. This was the one, nah, we never work on Kamuras. <laughs> yeah, and that's, I think that kind of tells you something. I mean, this is a, a young fighter, uh, I think only 26 years old, yeah. and he uh, only six or so fights, and he's talked about leading into this one because he got a lot of questions leading into this fight. Oh, how did you feel after suffering your first loss? Is there less pressure now that you're not undefeated? All those kind of typical questions, and he just took it in stride. He's like, I've been growing up in the UFC. Like, I only had four fights when I came here, uh, etc., etc. So he's, uh, you know, saying some some good things for him to go in there and show like instincts to be able to get a submission that he hasn't been training, you know, probably not thinking about and do it in that fashion super impressively that tells you a lot about you know his potential as a fighter so exciting a guy and tyson pedro to go out there and do what he did uh on the televised prelims uh dear god i was uh, getting excited there we had uh the other dong yun kim which we were debating given the uh the level of uh fre- frequency uh, we, who deserves to be the other dong yun kim at this point maestro or the stun gun but regardless it was dong yun kim getting a split decision victory over damian brown i had a 29 28 for kim i thought he won the first and third rounds uh damian brown was delivering a lot of leg kicks i mean this wasn't really a big fight on the card no, but I mean, it was positioned to be maybe not necessarily in terms of importance, but they put that as the kind of a featured prelim, they call it. And it was just, I think given these guys' recent, most recent performances, I think they both had fight of the nights in their most recent bouts. I know Damian Brown yeah. against Frank Camacho, but he didn't get the money because he missed weight and all that stuff and all that drama that happened around that fight. But anyways, I think just given their history and their recent fights, the way they matched this up was thinking it was going to be another fight of the night contender, and it really just didn't play out that way tonight. Uh, Rob Wilkinson took on newcomer Israel Adesanya, who came in with enormous hype. Uh, 11-0, and um, background in kickboxing, where he had a record of 65-5-2, and unbeaten as a mixed martial artist, only 28 years of age. And he's fighting out of New Zealand. He's originally from Nigeria. And he came in here... Uh, first round, um, this was a close round. Wilkinson uh, did get some takedowns, but Adesanya got right back up, bloodied up the nose of Wilkinson. Uh, it was a close round. I leaned it uh, towards Adesanya. And then in the second, Adesanya started using his jabs. He was throwing kicks and landing a series of knees to the face of Wilkinson, busted up his nose, and is just drilling him against the fence. Wilkinson starts covering up, and you can see he's just kind of mentally done here. Eventually gets put down, um, and the fight is stopped at 3.33 of the second round. Uh, I thought an impressive debut. He showed a lot of good poise inside of the octagon, didn't seem to be shaken by the platform he was on. And then in his post-fight interview, kind of just owned the arena uh, with John Anik and 
you know, very confident individual. And there's some people that are extremely high on him. And I think you always have to kind of caution when you're looking at prospects coming in. I mean, he beat someone at the level of Rob Wilkinson, but you couldn't ask for much better uh, of a performance for a debut here. For sure. Uh, and it, he owned it from beginning to end. I don't know what was better, the actual fight or the post-fight interview. It was all amazing. They're all both around. really important when you're trying to separate yourself from the pack of 500 fighters under contract. Yeah, for sure. And I can understand some of the excitement. I mean, this isn't like an ordinary prospect. Like, we know that this guy is an amazing striker. Like, we know from his kickboxing background and all that stuff. Like, we know he has serious, serious skills. And he showed he has... Uh, you know, a great personality and charisma and all that stuff. But yeah, I think you kind of can maybe give him a little higher expectations just because his actual background and the fact that we've seen him uh, competing in other sports and, and in MMA. He came in and he was 11-0, I think, coming into this fight. Yes. I believe it was RJ Clifford who pointed out on Twitter, like, he posted the records of all the guys he's fought. And he had fought some legit people, like mm-hmm. people, you know, with 10-2 and two records and Melvin Gillard, who has, like, 60 fights and stuff like that. So I think uh, he didn't come in the way some people do, where I think we had, who was it, Maya last week? Who, who's never beaten someone with a victory? Yeah, she had never beaten any one with an actual MMA victory. So this guy, you know, he paid his dues on the way here. So we'll see what happens with him. But yeah, a great debut. It went perfect for him. And I'm interested to see what they do with him. I, I really don't think you should be throwing him in against super high-level guys because what's the point? I mean, let's let him get a couple wins. I'd be more excited about a fight against a top 15 guy when he's 3-0 and in the UFC. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, especially you're going into that division of middleweight, like, for anyone, I mean, you're going into a division uh, of killers, and I think it's much more, uh, it's a much safer method to just slowly bring a guy along than simply to look at him. And I mean, the comparisons were coming out on the broadcast of like to John Jones. It's like you're almost setting a guy up for for failure at that point when you're making such lofty comparisons right out of the gate. I mean, he has enormous potential. There's no denying that. And he certainly passed his first test. Yeah, exactly. And But even look at John Jones. Like, he was coming in. He was a pretty big prospect, too. And they didn't throw him against top 15 guys. I know he fought Stefan Bonner in, like, his, I think, second or third UFC fight, maybe his third. But that was a Stefan Bonner who wasn't at his absolute peak at that point. And I don't think for most people would have been ranked in, like, the top 15 or 20 in that division. So... Maybe you give Adesanya next like a not a rank guy, but someone with a name who's like established in the sport in the division and build him that way. But what I really don't understand the value in you know putting him against a guy that could be a huge step up, and then what if he gets absolutely crushed and exposed? How, how does that really benefit anyone? Yeah, and as we see in current matchmaking, I mean, what is the value for such a name to take a fight with this guy? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's very little reward in that for, for somebody exactly. um, with a higher name value. Um, another guy who I thought made a huge impression here, though he wasn't being as talked about as much as uh, as the fight we just talked about, was Alexander Volkanovsky. 16-1 and coming into this fight with the undefeated Canadian uh, Jeremy Kennedy out of British Columbia. And Volkanovsky took him down by the fence and was just annihilating him with elbows, controlling him for the whole round. Kennedy did survive the opening five minutes, but then in the second, Volkanovsky immediately took him down again, and you could see the frustration on Kennedy's face, and Volkanovsky, more strikes, including some body shots, and he just poured it on with elbows for the stoppage. Uh, With three seconds to go in the second round, this was well on its way to being a second uh, 10-8 round for Volkanovsky, who improves to 17-1, and one and I think this is a guy to watch at 
the featherweight division. Uh, looked very good here. Yeah, 14 wins in a row, I believe it is for him. So, yeah, he's a, he's a very interesting new player in this weight class. I think you know, he's shown very dominant wrestling and a very dominant grappling ability. So uh, I'm interested to see what they what he can do. And Jeremy Kennedy was a guy who came in and had some, I, w- I wouldn't necessarily say hype, but he came in and had three pretty dominant performances in the UFC. And for him to just completely get it the other way, is pretty impressive for Volkanovski. So, uh, yeah, for a guy who's on as big of a winning streak as he is, I hope they give him someone uh, pretty legit now because why continue to rack up wins against these kind of outside-the-rankings type of dudes when you're on such a long winning streak? It's time for a real test. And then the televised prelims opened with flyweights Juicy Formiga and Ben Nguyen uh, coming into this fight, uh, 17-6 and record against uh, Formiga, 20-5. and uh, Formiga won the first two rounds. It was largely just being able to take down Nguyen and get on top, control them from half guard. And then we had had three decisions to open up on the fight pass card. So this was the first fight where we got something really notable because in the third round, Formiga nailed him with this spinning back fist. Nguyen went down to the canvas and Formiga just pounced on him with strikes and then quickly took the back, submitting him with a rear naked choke at a minute 43 of the third round. Impressive victory, I thought, for Juicy Formiga against uh, Nguyen here. And uh, this was our kind of first big finish of the night. Yeah, I mean, it's nice of finishing sequences you're ever going to see in MMA to go from a spinning back fist to just choking dude out cold. I mean, Ben Wynn, he's not a tapping kind of guy, apparently, <laughs> as John Anik said on the broadcast. But yeah, that was just a, a brutal choke and a really nice sequence. And I think exactly what Formiga needed. He is a guy, he's, you know, when the UFC started this flyweight division, I think he was ranked number one in the world. I think when he, you know, did, they did that original tournament for the title and stuff. Uh, I don't know if he was favored to beat Benavidez, but he, you know, was was pretty good in there. And a lot of people he's just had a few unfortunate yeah, losses. He's just that lost just, at the wrong time. Yes. and his timing hasn't worked out to get the title shot. And I don't think he's going to get it now. But that, like, he needed that highlight, like something that they can kind of use to build him up. And he he's just been missing that. He's had a few finishes in the UFC and you know shown off his skills pretty well. But tonight, I think was just the perfect type of thing for him. A really good momentum builder. And you know we'll see what happens. Obviously, the flyweight title picture is a a bit of a mess right now. We don't know what's going on with TJ versus DJ, but we'll see. I mean, he's a guy that at any point, if they need a contender and he's coming off a win, he could, he could get that title shot. Well, I mean, had TJ agreed to take that quick fight with Cody Garbrandt, Formiga could have backdoored his way into a title fight here, potentially. Yeah, absolutely. We'll see what happens. I mean, do you think he would be the next guy for that title shot? I mean, unless they're finally, Joseph Benavidez can get healthy and they want to do that third fight with Demetrius. And I think enough time has passed. I, I do know. too. I, I don't know if, I think coming off, I believe Joseph Benavidez tore his ACL or something like that. I think coming off that long of layoff, he should take another fight before jumping into a title shot. I, I think Formiga puts himself into kind of that on-deck circle at this point as a guy that could be challenging for a title but would probably need a fight in the interim if you're going to do Johnson and Dillashaw in the meantime. But I, I think he's, he's, a, he's the closest he's been in his UFC tenure to getting a title shot after this win. Yeah, I think that's appropriate. Over win. Yeah, yeah, exactly. A win over win. And then the results from Fight Pass here. We uh, we won't go through each fight here, but uh, Luke Jumo defeated Daichi Abe in the opening round. This was uh, in the opening fight. This was the one where everyone was kind of puzzled by some of the scorecards because we had a 29-28 card, 29-27, and then a 28 
27 card. So it was pretty pretty uh, a pretty consensus uh, lock that Abe took the first round 10-8 and Jumo on this one judge's scorecard would have had a 10-8 going both ways and then another judge would have had a 10-8 Jumo third round and a 10-9 Abe first round so this is all very uh, complicated math but nonetheless this was kind of some wild scoring right out of the gate uh, with Luke Jumo winning uh, Jose Quinones defeated Teruto Ishihara by unanimous decision, and then Ross Pearson ended his long drought, getting a victory, defeating Mizuto Hirota by unanimous decision as well. Those were not uh, disputed at all. And for Ross Pearson, a uh, much-needed victory uh, for him, and kind of left the door open when he was interviewed afterwards by John Anik. Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll see what he does. I mean, Ross Pearson's a guy, it's crazy, he's only 33. He's been around the UFC for such a long time. I think one tough nine yes. it was. so Andre yeah, Winner. He's he's had his ups and downs. I mean, he's, I think, 12 and 11 in the UFC now. So, I mean, yeah, this one was probably a bit of a career saver for him, and at least in terms of the UFC. And he doesn't really strike me as the type of guy that will want to continue if he doesn't get to fight in the UFC. Like, it, I just feel like he's very part of that that family and that image. I mean, his wife is a UFC ring girl. So it's like kind of, I think Ross Pearson is a UFC type of lifer. And, but yeah, he is going to keep it going. I, th- I think he'll want to keep fighting after this going forward. I mean, he's one of the few guys who gets like the full 20 K from Reebok. And I think he's on a pretty good contract from what he's probably being through so many in the UFC. So I could see Ross Pearson fighting a few more times, but who knows before we wrap this up, you've got, $200,000 in bonus money, Mike. Who are you handing out your performance bonuses to? A fight of the night and two performance bonuses tonight. You you get to do, distribute. Do we know what they are yet? No, we don't. Okay. We're, we're doing this right after the card, um, and they haven't announced them yet. Okay. I think I'll probably give our fight of the night to Jing Liang, and despite the, the eye poke. Um, Look at you. You're going to reward the man. He's going to get a bonus tonight. I know, and I feel bad about it. I mean, there's another fight, some other contenders, but... <laughs> there were a lot of good performances on this show. Like, yeah, there's uh, many candidates of where you could go here. I don't know what really jumps out to me as uh, fight of the night, but... I yeah, you at, could see one of those nights where they do four performance. Bonuses. I could definitely That's see that. Definitely a possibility as well. But I, I don't know. That just kind of struck me as a a fight of the night type looking fight, despite the the gruesome eye gouge. And yeah, you don't want to reward a guy for that. But you know, they've rewarded guys for a lot less. Yo, Romero is about to get a title shot for missing weight. So yeah, um, <laughs> which is yeah. funny because he probably is not eligible for a bonus for that, but we'll no. get a title oh, fight. Well, yeah, exactly. So that's kind of weird. I was about to say for performance bonuses, I guess Yo Romero is ineligible. So that takes him out of the equation. I mean, you have to give one to Formiga, I think. Yep. Um, and then I guess I'll probably say uh, Israel. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I, I was looking at him too. Guy. I would say, I, I give my four performance bonuses to Matthews, Pedro, Adesanya, and Formiga. Oh, and just as I pull up my computer, the bonuses are oh, official. Let's are let's you, get the breaking news here. Fight of the night: Jake Matthews versus Legion. Oh man, Bond called it. There we go. I mean, that was a good fight, but man, I was surprised that they would award uh, a bonus for Jin Leon. Maybe just short on options. I don't know. We'll maybe see. maybe that's going to be pending an investigation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We'll see. I mean, it's entirely possible. We've seen 
them give fight to the knights and not give the guy their bonus. So right. yep. it's entirely possible that that doesn't pan out. Maybe that maybe that's their punishment for him. They don't give him the bonus. So Could be. Uh, well, we'll see what happens. And then performance of the night, Formiga and Adesanya. There you go. So batting 100 on these post-show predictions. Tyson Pedro, not, not getting any love here. He's uh, There was going to be a few guys yeah, left out here. Because- I feel like, yeah, he probably should have got one too. That was just such a nice... Kimura, and you don't really see ground activity and finishes by submission like that in the light heavyweight division. So, well, that's going to wrap us up, Mike. First of all, I want to thank you very much for uh, for hosting here. You UFC 221, a lot of fun here at the at the Bond Castle. Yes, the viewing party. And you're off now for your world tour. You're going to be covering UFC 222, which was saved this week. Yes, I was worried I was going to be in Las Vegas just for a weekend of fun when there was going to be no fight. Who knows? But yeah, uh, it ended up working out. Thank God. And it's a decent little fight card. I'm actually looking forward to that one. And you know, seeing Cyborg is always nice. And that Edgar uh, versus Brian Ortega fight is absolutely amazing. So it should be a fun Yeah, fight. I really like that fight a yeah. lot. So that's going to be the UFC's next pay-per-view. They've also got a fight night card next yeah. Sunday how, night. How many cards do we have in between then? Two? There's still two more. There's still two more events before oh, yeah, that we'll next be. pay-per-view comes up. So Every weekend nice. covered. Uh, and you can go follow the man at Mike Bond MMA, and of course, all his great work at MMAJunkie.com. Uh, what is coming up? Uh, what are you working on? Uh, well, after you leave here, I will be shooting my post-fight matchmaker videos, so you can always check that, that out the day after. Uh, I think for our main event, we obviously seem to know who Yoel Romero's fighting next, but yeah, just all, all the kind of classic stuff, our, our post-fight coverage. I know we, we weren't on site for this one, a rare pay-per-view that MMA Junkie wasn't actually there for, but... I think we'll still have great post-fight content for you guys. All right. Well, go check out MMAJunkie.com. And I will be back Monday night with Wei Ting for Rewind to Raw. You can go get all of your news up at PostWrestling.com. And we also have a review up at PostWrestlingCafe.com of today's New Japan card from Osaka, the New Beginning show. Uh, Wei and I did a full review of that card for all our Patreon members. So that is it. And we will chat with you on Monday night.